The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We have been going through um, a little mini-series on the topic of prayer, um, because this is something that God has been stirring my heart in, um, because I am not great at prayer. I want us to be people that love to pray, and so I've just been... Uh, by the Lord stirring, picking up a few topics on the subject of prayer, and um, we have looked at prayer in our personal lives, we looked at prayer in our life together, and just the last thing we're going to drop into is prayer and the mission of God. So we are a church plant, and we are all about God's mission, and how exactly do we accomplish that? One of the ways God has given us, one of the major tools that I think we often neglect to think about is the topic of prayer. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, I think I said 5, we're actually going to be chapter 4, and um, we're going to read Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31, I'm going to pray for God's help, and then we're going to see what God has for us together. Does that sound good, guys? Acts chapter 4, picking up in verse 23, as I get there, my apologies. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they, that's the disciples, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, We are grateful that you have answered their prayers, and so now, Lord, we ask that you would answer our prayers, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we look at your word. And, Father, as we look at your good sovereignty and the challenges of a mission, we ask that you would help us to grow in prayer together as a church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most difficult things for... uh, anybody to see is their assumptions and their blinders. We all have assumptions and blinders, kind of like a horse, you know, how the horses who have the blinders on their eyes. We all have these assumptions and blinders and how we think about things. And it's really, it's pretty challenging to see what they are and to kind of guess what they are and to see what they're doing in our lives. And that's kind of how our blinders function for us in the category of thinking about the mission of God as a church. One of the things I'm I'm concerned about at times and how we talk about 
uh, life together as a church or talk about life together um, for the church planting and mission is how uh, business paradigms are influencing how we think about things and the assumptions we have about what mission should look like as a church and life together as a church, what that looks like. Um, often I, I see this sometimes talked about as like a pastor should act like a CEO in a church. I'm like, no, I'm not a CEO. <laughs> I don't call the shots and I don't fire people from the church. <laughs> um, but also like how we think about how the church should function. How should we orient to uh, preach Christ to people? How should we orient in terms of how we function together as a church? Where, how, do, how do power brokers work within the church? How do we uh, gain, bring people to Christ the methodology and polish programs, and I'm all for those things. Um, but I think that sometimes we have the, the blinders of bringing those things, the assumptions of bringing those things into how we think about the life of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I, uh, I read business books. I read leadership books. I love that stuff. That's very helpful, um, good categories. Um, but I'm just concerned that we, um, as we are beginning this life as King's Cross Church, um, that we... we, we make the false assumption we have these, bl- these blinders on how we think about our expectations for life as a church plant. Um, I'm very easily susceptible to these things, and so I want us to look at this category of mission and prayer because what we see in Acts, this chapter that we're looking at, we see a moment where their assumptions are revealed. And the way they're revealed is through difficulty and persecution opposition. And the way we see our blinders oftentimes is when we face opposition, right? You know, I thought marriage was going to be like daisies and walks on the beach. And then you hit your first major argument and all your assumptions about marriage come out and you see them like plain as day, right? So life together as a church, we are going to face difficulties and I want to prepare us to see our assumptions ahead of time as God was helping this church to see their assumptions ahead of time. So while we're looking at Acts 4, we see their assumptions and their assumptions when they hit this big blockade, this big wall of opposition to the gospel, what their assumptions are is what we want to see. And their assumptions is that they go to God in prayer. They respond to opposition in prayer. They respond to God's promises in pleading to God for his help. So in the chapter of Acts we've been looking at, Things have been going great. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has installed the apostles. They have been doing signs and miracles. It's been a big shebang. You know, what, thousands of people responding to Christ. And the leaders at the time are thinking, we need to put a stop on this. We need to put a kibosh on this. And so they bring the main apostles in. And they're like, cut it out. And the main apostles are like, uh, we're going to stick it to the man. We're going to obey God. And so here we go. We're going to pray that God's going to help us to keep preaching and obeying God. So that's where we pick up in verse 23 here. And so what we see in their prayer when they go back to their friends is that they turn to God and they look at his promises and his character in prayer. And what we're going to be learning from them is that the sovereign God accomplishes his mission through the prayers of his people. The sovereign God accomplishes his mission through the prayers of his people. And so as we look at their prayer, we're going to be seeing how their assumptions lead us to see that prayer rests in God's sovereignty and mission. Prayer asks for God's power for mission. And prayer love loves God's glory and mission. 
So that's where we're going to be looking at their prayer. We're going to be looking at their prayer to inform this assumption because what we want is we want our gut reactions as a church and thinking about God's mission in Manchester, we want our gut reactions to be prayer. We want it to be God, who you are, and connecting to who God is in prayer. So everybody good with that? We're going to be nodding and responding. Okay, pick up with me. Verse 23 Prayer rests in God's sovereignty in mission. Verse 23, so remember the apostles have just had the man come down on them and they have responded, no, we're going to obey God and we're going to keep preaching. And so when they go back and report on all this, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the the Gentiles rage and and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, for truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I find it fun and interesting that the apostles go back to their friends and not their tribe, not their political party, not their family, but they go back to their friends. They go back, when they think about their life together as a church, they go back to friends that they lean on and count on and depend on. And where they go and their prayer together, so they go back to their friends and they respond, okay, here's the deal, here's the news. How do we respond to this? Let's pray. And where do they go in prayer? Where they go in prayer is they pick up on Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is right there at the beginning of the book of Psalms, and it is about the perfect reign of the Son of God, who is Jesus. It picks up on who, what would it be like for Jesus to reign? What would it be like for the king to rule in perfect righteousness? And it says there's no opposition that can stand against the king, God's king. And so they go to God's promises about God's son in how they think about opposition. There's no, there's nobody can stand against Jesus, and so they think, okay, we need, to, we need to pray about the character and person of Jesus. They respond to opposition, not with God's promises to them, which is great. We get God's promises to us. You are freely accepted in Christ. You are enjoying the good love of the Father. But where they go, they think, first and foremost, before we talk about God's promises to us, we must go to God's promises and God's character in Jesus. We want to pray about who Jesus is. We want to go to God's promises about Jesus. Because if it's true about Jesus, then nothing can stand against us. They go and they respond in prayer about God's promises about God's Son. They respond to opposition by going in prayer about Jesus. Which I find, which I find incredibly fascinating because I think it reorients, it redirects our thinking. It, it corrects us to see that when we are facing opposition or trouble or struggle... Our first response should be, God, first, before I, before I think about all the trouble and trials that I'm facing, I want to think about who you have revealed yourself to be in Jesus first. Because if that's our starting point, 
then we have all the promises of God at our disposal in him. And then what they do, I find fascinating. What they do is then they go to dwelling upon not only who God has revealed himself in Jesus, but the character of God. They see, they see that God is the sovereign creator. So verse 24, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and everything in it. God, everything that exists, everything we're breathing, everything that we're made of, all the atoms that put our bodies together, all the gravity that keeps our bodies on the ground, all the air that we are breathing, all the, all the, uh, the clothes that our opponents are wearing. God, you've made all that. So God, you are the creator. God, you're the sovereign speaker. Notice there in verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So when God speaks his word, it's not only man's word, it's God's word to us. And so he speaks. He is the God who wants to be known. He's the God who wants to talk to us. The God who talks to us about who he is. Just as a note, um, if this book gives us any indication about how much God likes to talk, he likes to talk a lot to us. Right? He's given us his infallible word to know what he's like. Verse 27, he is the sovereign savior for truly in the city you have gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. This is the savior and God is the one who has orchestrated everything about the savior who does save, not if he can, but that he does save. And then verse 28, to do, they did everything to Jesus. Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He is the sovereign creator. He is the sovereign speaker, the sovereign savior, and the sovereign planner. This is where they go in prayer because they want to ground themselves first and foremost when things are not going as expected. They want to ground themselves first and foremost in everything that they know to be true and clear about God himself. They want God clearly displayed in front of them. And so they bind themselves, they capture that with prayer. They go to God in prayer about who has revealed himself to be in Jesus. And then in a minor role, they see themselves, right? They see God, they see Jesus, and then in a minor role, they see themselves. And I think the sovereignty of God is, uh, sovereignty of God is maybe something that, struggle, that we struggle with. And maybe rightfully so, right? We're Americans, we love choice. It's like in our constitution, right? Like we love freedom. And then when we talk about God being sovereign, it's a bit of like a chafes against that. It kind of makes us think like, eh, if God's sovereign, why did this happen? If God's sovereign, how do we explain this? But the reality is, those are, those are true categories, and those are categories that the Bible does engage with, right? Why does suffering happen? Well, we have the whole book of Job to walk us through that mystery. Why did this happen in my life? Why, why did this go on? You know, I, I don't know, but I do know that God has revealed himself to be good, and he has walked us through these things. But then at the end of the day, I think the sovereignty of God in the Bible is meant to be our comfort, which is where they go in their prayer, right? They go to God's sovereignty, and they think, okay, if God is good, if God, if God is good, and that's what he said about himself, and God is always good to me in Christ even when things don't seem to be going the way I understand them to be, I can, I can still rest in him. He's still good. I can trust in him. There's a southern, God is good all the time, and all the time is God is good. God, God is good. And so we can, in his sovereignty, we can rest in that. 
Like that's where he is leading us in this prayer. I don't understand why there's opposition and there's opposition going on in their lives and there's opposition, at least at this point in time, just as a reminder, they just killed Jesus, right? They're talking about the people who used the system to put Jesus to death. Couldn't beat Jesus, so Jesus rose from the grave. But we're talking about people that could put them to death. And yet they respond, not, Lord, put our opponents to death because we're right and they're wrong. God, no. Reveal yourself in Jesus and help us to trust, help us to rest, help us to be refreshed in your sovereignty and who you have revealed yourself to be. We're led to be comforted in Jesus first, and then in Jesus, comforted in God's character. And I think the way this works out is, uh, in some ways, when we face opposition, we face tr- difficulty and, and uh, trial, and things don't go the way we want, um, it is helpful to re- be reminded that things aren't defined by how difficult things are. So, if you think about the Patriots right now, the Patriots were given this unjust and offensive penalty for false accusations against the Tom Brady. <laughs> but if anybody would have watched the last three games of the Patriots, they would have thought we were going to lose all three of them, right? But at each of those instances, we realized we have the right guy on the team. The right guy is on the field. The right guy is taking care of it. So this last week when I thought, whatever that Texas team was that we demolished this last week, <laughs> whoever they were, I was, I was expecting us to be demolished by them. But there, Jacoby Brissett sits up on the team and demolishes them with a perfect performance, right? And I think reminding ourselves about the sovereignty of God is like realizing we have the right guy on the field. We have the right guy calling the shots. We have the right guy. We know who he is. We know that God himself stands over the mission of the church, the mission of our lives, what's going on, and he is calling the shots. We know that while we can't see what's going on and we don't understand why things are wrong, we know that God himself is calling the right shots, and we know that he can win because he's already done it in Jesus, right? We can relax and we can rest in God's leadership for the mission. I mean, have you ever guys ever thought about this? We're a church plant. We are here. We want to reach people for Jesus. We want to see better disciples and new disciples, right? Have you guys ever thought that, like, as an entrepreneurial endeavor, that's the most insane and ridiculous mission that you could ever have? We want to do something that we can't control, that we can't, that we can't affect We can't change people's lives. We can't change people's hearts. We can only do this. Hi, here's Jesus. I'm not a great example, but here's Jesus. And we want to build a church out of that? Like, that's crazy. You you, you realize that, like, if you were to put that as a business plan, that would be, it would be laughed out of uh, whatever the TV shows are. You know, whatever, the Shark Tank. (laughs) You would be laughed off the stage, right? It's incredibly insane. But that is what God has called us to do. We share Christ with people around us. We share that with them who Jesus is, his love and grace. And God responds and uses weak and sinful and silly people like us, right? That is the mission, right? The mission is insane. Reach people, change lives. God's the only one who can do it. And so if you put those things in contrast, okay, God, how do these things go together? Prayer is the first response to say, okay, God, this is God's mission, and God is sovereign, and so I'm going to rest in God's sovereignty for the mission. So, 
one application of this for us is when there are problems in the church plant, problems that we're facing with, where do we go next? Guys, I, I'd like for us to be on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I talked to like 20 places so far, and I'm not finding anything for us to go to Sunday mornings. <laughs> We've got to pray about that, right? Whatever, whatever the problems are that we're facing, relational problems that we're going to run into, do we, is our first gut reaction to pray. God, would you help us to resolve this problem between us? God, we want to reach and love our neighbors. We're going to pray, or are we just going to try to re- rely on some sort of you know, slick methodology to try to get them to like ask about Jesus or something like that? No, we want to pray and rest and God's sovereignty to lead us in the mission. Because we run into problems, run into needs. Let's pray to the creator, right? Creates every, God has created Manchester and all of its warts and beauty. God has created the place we live. God has spoken a clear word about who he is. He is the sovereign savior and the planner of this whole church plant. And so as we rely on God in prayer, we want to not only rely and rest in God's sovereignty and mission. We want to follow along with our prayer. We want to pray and ask for God's power and mission. So the second thing we're going to see, pick up in verse 29, prayer asks for God's power for mission. So remember their prayer, O Lord, this is who you are, and this is who Jesus is, and this is now what we turn to in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon the threats, their threats, And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, it's interesting. What it doesn't say, and now, Lord, and now, Lord, would you give us better strategies? Would you give us better equipment? Would you give us slicker graphics and production? Would you give us visionary leadership? Would you make us more relevant? Would you excite them with our incredible activities? Would you, Lord, convict them of the freedom of religion? Lord, would you give us better circumstances? Lord, would you strike them down? It doesn't say anything about the circumstances, right? Those are all circumstances. The opposition they're facing, <laughs> they don't pray about anything that's going wrong. They just pray, God, here's the deal. Give us power to be faithful. That's how they respond to the problems they're facing. They're saying, God, we want to be faithful. And so here's the lay of the land. These are all the problems that are going on. Lord, help us to be faithful. I find it just a fascinating response. Lord, we do want circumstances to change. We're going to pray for circumstances. That's great. But I think that their heart is to go after the, circum- the, the heart to be, uh, the power to be faithful in the circumstances, right? And one of the things they pray for is miracles. I don't know where you stand on miracles. We believe in the existence of miracles. We believe in the spiritual gifts. Here's what they're praying. God, we want you to make the gospel look great. So here's what you do. You use miracles, you heal people to show the power of God, the power of Christ over creation. You give spiritual gifts to show that God is still speaking and alive among his people. Now, he's given us this infallible word so we can govern all that stuff. So we don't think that prophetic words are the final say. Um, if somebody says something goofy, if they start going off in tongues, we're going to start kind of bringing some order to that. But God uses miracles and spiritual gifts to attest to the power of the gospel. That God has spoken in Christ and that he is sovereign over creation. 
and that God is powerful to save in Jesus. God, they manifest, miracles manifest the power of God. So they're praying for God's power to be faithful in difficulty. They're praying for faithfulness for all of God's commands. So that, that's the way all of God's commands are, right? God's command is obey me. And one of his commands, share the good news of Christ with your neighbors and your friends and your city. The other commands of God, walk in holiness before me. They are both commands and they both need God's power, right? We can't obey God without God's power. So what, what's being held up for us is that all of God's commands, we need God's power to obey. So prayer is how we rest and grab hold of and receive God's power to obey his commands. And part of those commands are forgive, have mercy, social justice, reconciliation, and mission, evangelism, confession of sin. It all requires God's power. And they're praying, God, this is what you've commanded. Would you help us? Give us your power for, to be faithful and obedient where you've called us to be. I mean, I think sometimes when it comes to evangelism and mission and whatever, the circumstances that we want is for somebody to come up and say, hi, my name is Scott, and I think that I am a horrible person that will never earn my way to heaven. Would you please tell me about the way that God has given us free grace in Jesus Christ? I think that's what we want in, in evangelism. The reality is, evangelism often looks like, oh, you're a Christian? Like, what are you, like a bigot or something? Like, do, do you go to churches because you're trying to make God happy with you or trying to make me feel bad? Mission, the, ev- evangelism opportunities never look ideal, right? And I'll just confess, since I have become a pastor in the last two years, I, um, I don't necessarily lead off by saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor, <laughs> to my friends and neighbors and uh, folks I meet in the city. Uh, Because here's what happens when I do say, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. There's two things that automatically happen. Uh, They immediately apologize for cussing in front of me. (laughs) I'm like, "Um, I don't care. And then secondly, they, they try to find some connection that somebody in their relational network has been to a church at some point in the last 10 years. You know, I shared with one of my neighbors once, oh, my pastor... I kind of sheepishly said it, and he uh, was like, oh, yeah, my, my parents went to, went to Easter service last year. <laughs> like, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. Um, but I think, I wonder, I, I, have conf- I have wondered at times, am I, am I reticent to say I'm a pastor because I don't want to deal with all the baggage that comes with what people assume about, oh, I'm just judging everybody around me and you know, thumping on my Bible to try to tell them about um, God's plan for their life. I... I I don't know. I don't know what the circumstances look like for you where you wish they were better or easier or less difficult. But I think that we could all go through and talk about those and just say, you know what? Maybe we should just pray. We should pray for God to help you to be faithful. Maybe you guys should pray for me. Maybe next time Jacob's at whatever bar context or neighborhood context or we're starting the Cub Scouts, so next Cub Scout context, Maybe Jacob should be bold just to say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian pastor and I love Jesus. Or, you know, something like that. Maybe you should pray for me. Be bold. Maybe we should pray for each other. To be bold, to share Christ. Even when it's going to cost us something, right? I'm not, 
I'm not like a culture warrior, like, oh, the culture is so bad, and we're going to, everybody hates Christians. Like, like well, whatever. It's, it's God's battle. Anyways, um, maybe it just helps kind of clear the field out, you know? <laughs> but uh, I do think that we're going to face some opposition. Let's pray for boldness and faithfulness. Pray for God's power to be faithful. You know, like the way I might, I always kind of phrase it to people, I'm like, well, it's God's battle. If they want to pick a battle with God, then I'll stand beside and watch. You know, like, I, who cares? I'm going to, we're going to be faithful. We want to be faithful for what God has called us to do. And God's called us to be faithful to share Christ with the people around us. To tell them about Jesus. To show them who Christ is. And I wonder, you know, I know this, we're talking about mission, we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about reaching our neighbors. But I think as a, as a, maybe I could just do like a parenthesis. I know there are difficulties that each of you are facing this week, today, the week ahead. We could talk about those difficulties. I know, I know several of them. Are we, are we inclined just to stop and pray for God to help us? What, maybe we can commit to that together, you know? We pray together for jobs and for health and for faithfulness and for holiness. You know, maybe as we're talking after, afterwards for dinner, by the way, we're having dinner afterwards. We'd love for you to stay for it with us. Um, heaven's going to be a party. And we're just going to get ready for it. Maybe as we're sitting around talking about din- uh, after dinner, afterwards, at dinner, how can I pray for you? How can I, how, what are the difficulties you're facing that God's called you to be faithful in? And how can we pray for God to help you to be faithful in that? Just an idea. Let's pick up in their prayer again, okay? Let's finish off verse 31. So we have been seeing that they are resting in prayer. They are resting in God's sovereignty. Their, their prayer is how they are asking for God's power for mission. And then prayer loves God's glory in mission. So let's pick up verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It is amazing to me that we see this immediate answer to their prayer, which means to me that God loved their prayer. God heard it, and God loved it. He loved what their desires were. He loved that they were coming to him and praying about Jesus, for Jesus, for more power by the Spirit. And so God says, you got it. You want me? You got me. God loves to answer our prayers for more of God himself. He loves to answer our prayers. He loves their prayer. He loves to hear your prayer. And I think what's important to see here is that the sovereign Lord who led them to pray this prayer is the one who answers their prayer, which means that prayer is a part of the mission of God. Prayer is a part of God's mission. You're not wasting your time in life by praying. God led them to the point of thinking, we need to pray. And then God hears their prayer, and then God answers their prayer. God uses their prayers for the mission that he's called them to be on. When we sit up here and pray, or when we worship on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, whenever we're worshiping, when we are worshiping God and praying God, that is a part of God's mission to transform people to be like Jesus, to make more people to be like Jesus. 
God uses our worship, God uses our prayer as a part of his mission forward. That's why he loves their prayer, because they're asking for more of God. God, we want more of you. And so he gives it to them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be faithful to what he's called them to do. Prayer is a part of the mission. They, they have a need that God's led them to see, and God answers their need by giving them prayer. Prayer is how we join God's mission. It's not wasted time in prayer. When we pray for our neighbors and we pray for God's help and we pray to make it through the day because the children are driving me nuts and we pray because our coworker is making us batty, when we pray for God's help because our circumstances are hard and we are so alone, God is using our prayers because he loves to answer prayer. And he is in that prayer to help you. God uses prayer for his purposes. And he loves to answer prayer that gets more of God. Prayer shows God's glory in the mission. Prayer is how we love God's glory in the mission because it shows that this is God's mission, right? To love Manchester, to show them who Jesus is. Uh, This is a crazy idea. But when we pray, we show that this is God's deal. Whatever God does with King's Cross Church, I don't know. But whatever God does in responding to our prayers, it is recognizing that this is God's deal and not some great idea that Jacob had. (laughs) This is God's deal to reach Manchester to build new disciples. So I I think one thing I want us to see here I want us to end by looking where this prayer goes, right? What happens to this prayer? What's the end result of this prayer? Because sometimes seeing the end result, sometimes seeing where we're going, what's happening, what, where things are going, gives us faith to see, okay, this actually is a part of what God's doing. This has a purpose. This has a final end, this final culmination. So if you have your Bibles, we can turn just quickly to Romans 5. I'm sorry, Revelation 5 where we see the final outcome of these prayers. In, Re- in, in Acts 4, they are praying that Christ be glorified and God answers their prayers and they give more evangelism. They're out sharing Christ with their neighbors. They are loving their city. They are sharing Christ and God is answering their prayers. But that's right then. And then here we are 2,000 years later in Manchester, New Hampshire, 2016. But ultimately, there is a final day where the prayers will show up and be answered Ultimately, and I think there is a moment in this little section of scripture that will surprise us. So Revelation 5, verse 6, and between the thrones. So what's been happening here in the book of Revelation, just to give you a small little, this is a big kind of like comic book, right? There's all these pictures going on. They mean things. There is in the, the, the center of heaven, this throne, and there between the people who are worshiping, And the throne, and between the throne and four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Interesting. Psalm 2 talks about a king, and this king is also a lamb who is slain. A a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out through all the earth. And when he took the scroll, so that's the sovereign will of God, and when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... And when he had taken the scroll, 
the four living creatures and four, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. So they're bowing down before Jesus, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are not wasted. Your prayer to God. God, do you hear me? God, I, would you save my family? Would you save my neighbors? God, would you help me? They go into these bowls as a picture. And God loves, God loves your prayers. And here they show up. At the very end, they are still before God because he loves your prayers. They are put before him and they are a sweet present, sweet smell before God. They are like the smell, I hope this is a good smell for you. They are like the smell of the five minute mark before Thanksgiving dinner. Man, that smells good, Right? I don't know if you like pecan pie, but you got the pecan pie and the turkey mixing together. It's like heaven. I just, I just ascend into heaven. That is what your prayers are like. Even here at the final scene, right before Jesus, your prayers for the mission of God to go forward, the mission of God to help you, the mission of God to reach your neighbors, they are a sweet and pleasant fragrance before God. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So they are singing about the gospel for you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and, he- and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There's our king from Psalm 2, this king that will be glorified at the end. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And they said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. There they are as it were, ushered in by our prayers for the glory of Christ, to see the glory of Christ. And around the glory of Christ are gathered in all the people of the nations, gathered around together, that were reached by the power of God's mission that we get into, that we tap into, that we enjoy and are a part of by prayer. When we are praying as King's Cross Church, we are joining this final picture this final realization of the mission of God to reach our neighbors, to grow in holiness, to make more disciples and better disciples. We are joining this final image. These prayers of ours are joining this final image. And we pray because God is good and he loves, God loves to answer prayer. Prayer is how we love God's glory and mission because it shows that this is God's mission. The sovereign God accomplishes his mission through the prayers of his people. And here we have in Acts 4 a picture of what it means to be a praying church, to join God's mission in prayer. And here we have in Revelation 5 the realization of what we're aiming for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you love our prayers, and that you use our prayers to realize your mission to glorify Christ and to make more people hear 
of his goodness. Father, we ask that you continue to be with us as we worship you and that we would be a praying people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.